Take from New Jersey, it's the SNL Nerds, the show where two comics from New Jersey nerd out about Saturday Night Live. I'm your co-host, Darren Patterson. Yeah, and I'm your co-host, John Trumbull. Hey, John Trumbull, happy Thanksgiving, sir. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Uh, yeah, it's a little post-Thanksgiving, but we, we're close. We're close, we're close. yeah. This yeah. Is, yeah, well, this is uh, the, you know, the, the podcast after Thanksgiving when you still got the stuffing and the turkey in your yes. belly. Still in a bit of that food coma. Um, still in a haze. We were talking about, you You said you had kind of a, a scaled back Thanksgiving, you were telling me, before we officially started recording. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like me and my family went out to a, a diner out here in Jersey, which is a very, mm-hmm. very Jersey thing to do. It and kind of is. It, yeah. That is a very Jersey Thanksgiving. I, yeah, I just had a, uh, just, I was, I have no family in the area, so I, I quiet day at home but then on friday i went uh i was invited out to a friends giving thing and it was sort of like eating leftover food and and that was fun it was a, a party situation Ooh. so that was that was enjoyable very nice much like the uh party situation in this movie we're going to talk about yeah you suggested our movie for this week uh, we're doing we're doing funny people from 2009 with adam sandler and seth rogan and you were like, oh, well, we could do that around Thanksgiving because there's a Thanksgiving scene in that movie. And I did not remember there being a Thanksgiving scene in this movie at all. I, I mean, to be honest, I totally didn't remember there was a Thanksgiving scene in this movie either until like I did like a Google search of Thanksgiving movies and this did pop up. And then I was uh-huh. like, oh, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. I mean, it's because it, it's not a big plot point in the movie or anything. It's just a scene where they needed a big gathering of people. And I think they just needed an excuse for people to get together. So they said, Oh, it's Thanksgiving. So it's, it's kind of arbitrary. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, so it all works out. And also, plus we've, we have like occasionally talked about, uh, funny people throughout this, uh, this podcast, because it's come up yes. here and there sporadically. We've, we've gone on a couple of funny people tangents because we'd both seen the movie before. I remember, I actually saw this on my birthday back in 2009 because it opened just, just before my birthday. It would have been my 37th birthday. Uh, yeah, this movie came out July 31st, 2009. Uh, it had a budget of 75 mil and it made 71 mil, which uh, we'll we'll get into yeah. why it didn't. That yeah, didn't it wouldn't do it. as well as I would have guessed. I didn't yeah, know it was gross. But wait, the budget is seventy five million and it made seventy one. Yeah, I mean that kind of makes sense because from what I remember, I I saw this in the theaters too. Like back, you know, yeah. I saw this with my now wife, who was then my uh, fiance at the time. And right. I remember, yeah, <laughs> that's right. I found love, <laughs> and uh, I like I remember really being pumped to see this film because. Uh, yeah. For one thing, this is like around the time when Judd Apatow was sort of seen as like the golden boy of yeah. uh, comedy movies because he just come out, not just come out, but he had come out with uh, 40 Old Virgin, which was very well received, which Huge I like. Yet. I mean, I, that basically made Steve Carell's career as a movie actor. And I think we basically got the American ver- version of The Office renewed because 40 Old Virgin was such a huge hit. Yeah, absolutely. And then after that, we got uh, Knocked Up, which was even a bigger hit. Mm-hmm. And like, made, made Seth Rogen a star. Made yeah. Seth Rogen and, ma- and made ton of, tons of money. And yeah. like I think around this time, people were like, oh, Judd Apatow, he's like the, the hot new comedy director. Like he was yeah. kind of seen as like the Jordan Peele, but for comedy directors, I guess. Like he was really, 
kind of on the rise. And I think yes. with this movie, like that kind of started to go away a little bit. Cause like, the bloom I think was off the rose a little bit. Yeah. yeah Cause like people yeah. started to see, I guess the Judd Apatow tropes and like, you know, things he goes to quite a bit where it's like, Oh, oh you're yeah. putting your wife and children in this movie too. Oh, yes. you're making it, you know, 20 to 30 minutes longer than it needs to be as well. Oh, you're putting in all the riffing and improv scenes in this mm-hmm. movie too. Oh, yeah. 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 And we've, I mean, we've covered, let's see, what other, we, we did uh, King of Staten Island uh, a year or two back when that came out in the early days of the pandemic. That was a Judd Apatow movie. And that had some of the same problems. There's a lot of, his movies have a real loosey goosey quality to him because he does a lot of improv. And so scenes kind of meander. His movies can get very shaggy, you know? Yeah. And like, this, see, the thing is, like, the stuff that he leaves in, mm-hmm. that it's it's not bad stuff. It is funny and it is good, no. but it is, you know, extra fat. It's like, it's, it needs to, like, yes. I, I think that's the thing with his movies that I got, like, with this movie, funny people, people start to realize where it's like, I, it's like, if he would just cut out some stuff, like, there's a really, really yeah, he good... He just cut out a lot of stuff. stuff. Like, I, I, yeah. checked, I mean, I checked the runtime. I got this movie on, on DVD from my library because that was just the easiest thing to do. And this is the theatrical cut. Two hours, 26 minutes. And that's long, especially for a comedy. That is long, man. It's a lot. It's a I lot. I mean, a, a good comedy should not overstay its welcome. And most of the the great comedies are, are certainly under two hours, if not like closer to an hour and a half or an hour 45. Yeah, absolutely. Like a lot of, like, I don't know too many good comedies that are over like two hours. Like you're really yeah. pushing it. That's, that's like drama territory. It's, yeah, exactly. It's like Oscar bait should be like two and a half hours. Or if you're doing like some big epic, like Lawrence of Arabia or Avengers Endgame or something like that. Yeah. You have that, that big of a story and that many characters. And I, I don't think funny people really needed to be two and a half hours. Yeah. I think that's the reason why they say like sitcoms are usually a half hour and dramas are usually an hour long when it comes yeah. to TV shows. Like, because like a half hour is a perfect time to get your laughs, get in and get out where the drama you can draw it out a little bit more. And you know, like we, we both do stand up comedy and I, you see that in comedy shows too, live comedy shows after like an hour and a half, you can just feel the audience's energy dip. Even if like everyone you see is killing and everyone is funny, you just get exhausted. You can't take more comedy after a certain point, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's the other reason I really was looking forward to seeing this movie uh, too when I saw it in the theaters because like I'm a huge comedy nerd. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judd Apatow's a huge comedy nerd. And this yeah. movie I thought was going to be, and it is in a way, it's supposed to be like his love letter to comedy and stand-up comedy. And it is for about half the movie. And then Yeah, and the then other, it takes a turn. It takes a turn. We'll get there. It, it we'll... takes a turn. And yeah, and I it was sold very much as like, oh, because like Judd Apatow, he goes way back with Adam Sandler. They were like friends. They were roommates back in the day when they were like late 80s, early 90s, when they were both struggling comedians, like before Adam Sandler got on SNL. Right. And, and uh, it, the movie actually opens up with footage that Judd Apatow shot back in the day of Adam Sandler making prank phone calls. Yeah, like Jerky Boy style. Yeah, yeah. And 
it's cute. It's neat to see like young twenty something Adam Sandler. But even that goes on longer than it should. It is like I mean I understand why he he does that to sort of give it like a very personal feel, right? To sort of get this little peek into his life and his past, and, then, and it's also something stuff that you know the average person has probably never seen. But then yes. he does that kind of throughout the movie. Like we see more uh, uh, footage of old footage of Adam Sandler uh, performing like his stand-up. We, we see like some old footage of Adam Sandler on Conan back in the nineties, you know, Adam, yeah. Adam yeah. Sandler at a MTV some spring break. And yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then that, that kind of, that theme kind of runs throughout the movie. Like we, but, we all, but he's not playing himself. He's not right. playing Adam Sandler. He's playing, a comic in the Adam Sandler vein named George Simmons. Right. Like George Simmons is basically a fictionalized version of Adam Sandler. He's a he's right. a comedian who's become extremely successful and he's extremely wealthy. Yeah. He's made like a bunch of sort of Adam Sandler-esque movies. He's made so many crap movies. And this movie, it really just kind of takes the piss out of Adam Sandler and just kind of acknowledges, yeah, he's done a lot of crap. Yeah. <laughs> Like, because his, his, he has one of his movies where he's a merman, where he's got like the fishtail, like Splash. And there's another movie where he's transformed into a baby called Redo. And right. Those are both 100% believable as Adam Sandler movies. There is no appreciable difference between the films of George Simmons and the films of Adam Sandler. And what I find amazing is after Adam Sandler does this, he basically just goes right back to making those types of movies. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, but I do enjoy that. Like, I enjoy that little part where I, you can tell. I mean, Adam Sandler's no dummy. He's like, all right, you're, yeah. this is you making fun of me and mm-hmm. the movies I've made. I get it. So, like, the fact that he's able to sort of roll with it and be okay with it and just go on to make other movies that are like these movies he just made fun of is uh, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, wonderful. Like, he's he's in on it. He's he's not. I guess he is. I. It's just a weird sort of compartmentalization like if if i was a big movie star and i was asked to star in a movie that was basically saying like hey you've done a lot of shit in your career i don't know if i would go back to doing that same style of shit but i mean hey it's very successful for him yeah and he usually picks somewhere cool to vacation in while he's doing those movies so adam sandler's obviously figured out how to do it. Uh. Yeah. Like I've never seen the grown ups movies, but like right. I, from what I see that they're basically honestly like an hour and a half of just him and his friends on vacation. Those. Movies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean like he literally did a movie with, I, I think it was Jennifer Aniston in Hawaii. Oh, and, right. And, and yeah. you just know he did that because he wanted a vacation in Hawaii. <laughs> I want to go to Hawaii. Yeah. Or no, 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 that was the Drew Barrymore thing, the, the Drew Barrymore memory loss thing. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, 51st States. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but I know you want I think it, was, it took place in, like, Monaco or something. Yeah, like, he goes to, like, these exotic locations now. And, I mean, hey, if you can pull that off, more power to you. <laughs> but I just, I just think it's funny. Um, yeah, and I go, I go very back and forth on Adam Sandler. I like him as a straight actor. I like him when he gets, when he does more serious dramatic stuff and he there's that melancholy quality to him but when he's like in his comedies he goes really over the top and there's and and that i find a lot to take yeah i think that's i think adam sandler's kind of in this weird place where like 
he he is a good actor. He's done a, a number of things where he's proven his acting chops. Like uh, I would say he's a good actor in this movie and funny people. Yeah, but, I, I agree. But like he I know has, he has some great moments. Yeah, I know most people point to um, Punch Truck Love and even mm -hmm. uh, Uncut Gems as like, oh, he's really trying yeah. to go for something here. And like I think the critics are kind of reluctant to give him, you know, that approval that like, to say he's good. But and yeah. at the same time, the movies that make money that's made him you know, live very uh, comfortably is all the, the, the shit. <laughs> like all the straight the to Netflix. boy or the, or the, yeah. um, uh, Hubie Halloween or whatever the, or, or where he goes back to school. Um, uh, Billy I'm Madison. Yes. Thank you. I'm blanking on all the names today. I don't know why. Um, but yeah. So, uh, okay. So the, the movie opens and we, we basically meet George Simmons and we learn very early on that George Simmons, he's diagnosed with AML, which is this rare form of leukemia. And yeah, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't know how long he has to live, but he's, he starts undergoing treatment and all this. So he's, he's at a crossroads in his life. Yes, absolutely. And we also see like, he's, he's just a guy who's ex super successful, but he's extremely lonely, no wife, mm -hmm. no kids. It's just him alone in a huge house with uh, his like wait staff and yeah and cleaning crew. So it's he, he, yeah, and he's in this big ass mansion. Um, and one of the things I like about this movie is it doesn't it doesn't really sugarcoat how different the the life of a movie star or a hugely successful comedian is. Where it's like, yeah, he's traveling around in limos. He is taking private jets. He's he's got a mansion that's big enough that you can get lost in, or you don't know if someone else is in the house with you. Um, and so many times they, in Hollywood movies, especially they, they try to paint famous people's lives as being kind of like the life of an everyday person. And it's like, no, this is not. <laughs> mm -hmm. And and I kind of like that. They just weren't making any bones about it, you know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, on the flip side, we get to see Seth Rogen's character, Ira mm -hmm. Wright. Who's mm -hmm. this uh, struggling comedian? He works at um, at a deli counter in a supermarket. Yes, with uh, the RZA. The RZA, yeah. <laughs> Again, another random cameo. He uh, he just shows up. I mean, does a good job. He's funny stuff, and yeah, and Ira's doing that thing that young struggling comics do, where he's like trying to invite people to a stand up show because mm -hmm. you know it's it's probably a bringer show where you have to bring a certain number of people so you get time to perform and. Oh my God, those are those can be horrible because yeah, usually it's like somewhere in your first couple of years of stand up before you're very good at all. So you invite all your friends out to see you, and they they come see you, and they see you not be all that good, and then they don't want to see you a couple of years later when you have gotten good. Hopefully, yeah, it's, it's... you kind of burn that goodwill. So. Yeah, that scene that scene felt very real. Where it's like. Yeah, so real. you have to like you have to like convince somebody, like a friend, to be like, yeah. no, just come out and watch. I thought we were friends. Just come out and see me and come out, laugh and support me. And and I get it; it can be a lot because you're asking them to, you know, hey, come out to this place, pay the cover charge, do the two item minimum, do you know, laugh loud and look for parking. And <laughs> if you yeah, have kids, yeah, and, you know, drive in L.A. I mean. I don't live in LA, but yeah, I, I wouldn't want to drive anywhere in LA. I don't think. No, I, I mean, again, I've I've only been to LA maybe once in my life, and yeah, from what I hear, just driving around in LA can be uh, 
quite something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've just made one trip out to L.A., and I was getting around uh, by bus and subway on that. And that was fine because I was just there for a few days. But mm-hmm. I, from what I understand, that's no way to really get around there on a regular basis. And just if you drive anywhere, the, the, the traffic is hell just because there's so many people there. That's what and uh, yeah, because Seth Rogen is Ira. He's he's a struggling stand-up comic. He is basically crashing on his friend's couch. Um, he he lives with Jason Schwartzman, who you probably know from Rushmore, and he's done a lot of the uh, the Wes Anderson movies since then. And uh, uh, what what was the name of Jason Schwartzman's character? Uh, his character's name Mark. He's the one Mark. whose apartment it belongs to, and he's like. He's like mildly successful because he's right. he's a, the star of this sitcom called Yo Teach, right. and you can tell it's like one of those cheesy, you know, CBS sitcoms that's not very good, but it pays yeah. well, so he does it. Yeah, and it's successful, and yeah, I mean, even if you're on a crappy sitcom for, you know, a season or two, that if you're smart with your money, that you can you can do very well off of that, right? And. Um, uh, Jonah Hill is also there. He's also living at the place. Uh, he's another struggling comic named Leo. And uh, yeah, yeah, so it's, it's the three of them. Exactly. And like, actually, one thing I really liked about their apartment, yeah, uh, like all the pictures they have around it of like, uh, they're basically just comedians and, yes. and comedic actors that Judd Apatow was really inspired by. And they're just like, yeah. All like a lot of those pictures, I was like, "Oh, I like that." That picture of Rodney Dangerfield and Red Fox, I was like, "Oh, that's kind of cool." Yeah, or, uh, there's a picture. And they're all nicely framed too. It's it's probably better decorated than a real struggling comedian's apartment would yeah. be. But like a real struggling comedian would have like a, a movie poster of I don't know, like Scarface or something. Yeah, but like these are, they have like really nice framed pictures of Peter Sellers and Monty Python, like Laurel and Hardy there, and it's like you know they're, they're very elegant. You can sell. You can tell a set direct uh, decorator worked on. This. Yeah, yeah. Comedians don't know nothing about no frames. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's like we we might save up to go to the frame store, but we're never gonna make it. Yeah, <laughs> like Scotch tape is like a dollar. Come on. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And let's see. There's there, there's also um, Aubrey Plaza, who is Daisy. She is a Another stand-up comic. She's a girl comic. I mean, have you ever heard of such a thing? <laughs> Guys, are you ready for your next comic? She, this one's a woman. She's a girl, and she's a comic. Can you imagine what sort of science fiction? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she lives across the street, and and uh, you know they they're talking about how she's very cute. And Jason Schwartzman, as Mark, he says, "Hey." Uh, you, Seth Rogen, Ira, I know you kind of like this girl, so I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to try and set you up. I'm going to try and be your wingman, but I'm going to give you 10 days to close the deal to make something happen with her before I'm going to swoop in. Which is, I mean, that's kind of a dick thing to say, but... It's it's like half nice and half of a dick thing. Like, on one hand, you're giving him the heads up and you say you're trying to make this happen. On the other hand, it's like, if you don't make this happen in time, I am going to... Yeah, it's it's kind of screwed up, but yeah. it's amusing. It's like you could just not sleep with her. <laughs> it's like I can't do that. No, apparently, that's not an option. <laughs> and and he's like, if I put my mind to it, I will sleep with her. <laughs> he's, he's got that sexual confidence going for him. I, I liked uh, 
yeah, Seth Rogen is like, hey, I don't look like a young Jackson Brown. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, like, when I saw this movie, because I I mainly knew Jason Schwartzman from Rushmore at this point, and he's playing like the the nerdy character Max in that. Uh, so you know, I saw him with the glasses and the short hair, and then he's you know here he's got the the nice do he's he's got that you know cool couple days of growth beard, and yeah, he's he's a good looking sexy dude. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, Talia Shire's son is uh, doing well mm-hmm. out here in these streets. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, we also have Aziz Ansari as Randy, who's, <laughs> who's uh, uh, just a, a perfect impression of, like, the sort of, I don't know if I want to say hack comic, but he's kind of a hack comic, I think. He's very high energy. He's like, yeah. you know, hump the stool type yeah. of comic where you can tell there's not much, uh, like, his material isn't, there's not much there as far as, you know, comedy goes, but he sells it really hard, and right. the audience really likes him. Like, he he covers it up with a lot of energy, and I could name names of some very successful stand-up comedians, but I'm not gonna do that. I don't think. Yeah, um, we'll tweet them, but we won't say that. <laughs> yes, I mean because you know we are much like Jason Schwartzman's character, half horrible people. Um, <laughs> I read I read on the. Uh, IMDb trivia that uh, Randy kind of came like like Aziz Ansari, he ended up incorporating Randy into his regular stand-up act. He actually does a segment as Randy on one of his albums, and as Randy with eight A's. <laughs> and he said that he based Randy on Soldier Boy. He imagined, what if Soldier Boy was a stand-up comedian? And he wrote jokes based on that idea. Soldier Boy? Soldier Boy. I mean, Rap- as- the rapper, right? Not like the guy from uh, The Boys. Yeah, yeah, huh. exactly. Soldier with the, with the ending with the J A. Yes, um, interesting. Because you know it's a season. Sorry, it always comes back to rappers somehow. <laughs> rappers are food, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we know what the man's obsessions are. <laughs> he likes what he likes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, and it's it's fun to see him. They actually did a a mock documentary about Randy, and he was supposedly was. Judd Apatow was developing a, a feature film about Randy. I don't know if that's still happening or not. I kind of doubt it at this point because it's 13 years later. But yeah, but uh, yeah, like I do remember Randy being kind of a thing where mm-hmm. it's one of those things where like he's honest, he's obviously doing sort of making fun of that certain type of comic. But mm-hmm. like I actually liked and did laugh at a lot of his. So it's like one of those things where the mocking becomes just as funny as the thing he's mocking. Yeah, type of yeah. thing where it's like, oh, I actually enjoy. I enjoy. You know, it's like how, uh, like on the state with uh, Louie, uh-huh. they were making fun of people with catchphrases. So you know, I want to dip my balls mm-hmm. in it, and then yeah. that actually became a cool catchphrase. I want to dip my balls in it, type of thing. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like you totally look at Randy's act, and you you see how he would connect with audiences and how he would be successful because he's like a flashier, more high energy thing than like what the character of Ira is putting out there. We see like just a little bit of Audrey Plaza as Daisy doing her stand-up act. And um, yeah, I mean, yeah and, she, and she's, you know, it's Audrey Plaza. So she's very sort of deadpan and, and low key. Yeah. Like Daria. Yeah, she, very Daria. Um, yeah. And that's something I also find very interesting about the movie is Judd Apatow actually had the actors who were playing stand-ups, including Adam Sandler, Seth Rogen, um, 
uh, Jonah Hill and Aubrey Plaza, he had them all write and perform their own stand-up material. Uh, and Sandler did stand-up in his early days, but he hadn't done it in years because, you know, busy being a movie star. Yeah. And Seth Rogen started out as a stand-up comic at 13. Jesus. Um, I, I think he had also just gotten away from it. So, But they all both had experience. But Jonah Hill and Aubrey Plaza, as far as I know, had never done stand-up before. So... Right, yeah, it was like kind of totally new to both of them. I mean, from what mm-hmm. I saw, they didn't. They seemed like, oh yeah, this this kind of looks like every a lot of comedians I've seen before. They didn't seem yeah. like to feel like too unnatural or awkward about it. I bought them both as comedians in this movie. They both were handling themselves like comedians, and I was like, oh, okay, I can see this. I I kind of wish that we had seen Daisy do stand up earlier in the movie. I I kind of wish we could have seen her in in like the montage at the beginning before we kind of got to know her as a person. Yeah. I mean, her character kind of, I mean, it's not super important to the whole movie. Like I kind of wish they gave her a little bit more to do, but yeah, I see what you mean. I definitely wanted more with Aubrey Plaza's character than other characters in this movie. Oh, we we will get to later. Let's get into it. (laughs) But okay. So, so George Simmons, he's, he thinks he's received basically a death sentence and he, and he does a drop in at the club. They're, they're at the improv, the, the famous club run by Bud Friedman, who just recently passed away. Yeah. And, I believe uh, he's in this movie too for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You see Bud Friedman uh, towards the end saying, telling uh, uh, Seth Rogen, he's going up in a, in a little bit. And, um, and uh, yeah, George Simmons, he does the drop in. Because he hasn't been there for five years. Because like what super famous comedians do, because they can't really go to open mics the way folks at our level do, because they'll get mobbed or whatever. They will just drop in unexpectedly at a club to try out new material. And uh, and that's always interesting. And it's always a thrill for the audience. I remember uh, going to the Comedy Cellar uh, for a buddy's birthday years ago and uh, Chris Rock did a surprise drop in. Yeah, like I remember hearing stories about that. There was that one night where it was like drop in after drop in after drop in at the cellar. Like I think mm-hmm. I forget what night it was, but it was like Chris Rock came in, then Aziz came in, then Amy Schumer uh-huh. came in, then Seinfeld oh, no. came in. Wow! It was like it was like a an insane night where like yeah. maybe yeah. I think Lucy K might have come in too. But yeah, it was one of those things where it's like literally like five mega super mega stars, yes, yeah, superstars yeah. just came in and people were like, oh my god, this is amazing. And, you know, the thrill for the audience kind of sucks for the other unknown comics on the bill because they're either going to get bumped or their time is going to be cut way down. I was once doing a date uh, in the city and uh, Jim Gaffigan did a surprise drop in. And so the, the person running the show, because they want the show to end at a certain time, they came to me and they were like, well, um, you know, I know you were supposed to do a 10-minute set, but Jim Gaffigan just dropped in to try out some new stuff, so would you do, like, three minutes? Yeah. <laughs> and and at that point, it's just kind of like, well, why bother? Three minutes? Really? <laughs> I can't even get five? Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and it's particularly a drag when you, like, you come in to New York City from New Jersey, because that's... Yeah. That's no, the thing. Yeah, it's, um, it's a bummer. I mean, it sucks, but yeah, like, the... There is a hierarchy when it comes to comedy where, yeah, like if somebody bigger than you wants to come in and try out some stuff, you just have yeah. to move to the side and uh, take it. All right. So, yeah. so I looked it up. So that's that, how it is. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that night happened in uh, what January 2017. 
uh, yeah, one night it was Seinfeld, Amy Schumer, Aziz, Chappelle, uh, David Tell, and then uh, Ryan Hamilton went on. So, and you you know there was some young unknown person who had to go on after all of them. <laughs> and then, like half the audience cleared out because. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I I remember the night I was at the cellar and Chris Rock dropped in. I remember Chris Rock and and it was very interesting to see because he's obviously still working out stuff and he's more low key than the Chris Rock you see in specials because like the Chris Rock you see in specials, he's worked it all out. Yeah, and he knows he knows the beats he wants to hit and all that. And he was, I remember he was talking about the the keep him off the pole thing. Oh wow, um, keep my baby off the pole. Yeah, yeah, he was he was still developing that, and but he was just sort of saying it much more low key, and like yeah, yeah, keep him off the pole. Keep, and by the time he taped the special, it was like keep him off the pole. I mean, it just it develops because you kind of learn where the laughs are and the beats you need to hit and the little additional tags you want to put in there. But then after Chris Rock leaves half the audience left too because they were like oh well the evening has peaked there's no yeah. <laughs> better and then some poor guy has to go up after him yeah it's like and a, that's yeah and that's what happens to seth rogan's character in this movie he gets up and he's he's like oh well george george simmons seems kind of depressed huh yeah like because like i think george when he went up there he was kind of riffing on some stuff but it was like pretty dark and wasn't even that yeah. funny it, it got more serious than it was funny yeah, so like because he's in a dark place. Exactly. So, like, usually when that happens, then it's tough for the next comic afterwards to sort of bring back up the uh, bring the party yeah. back up. And then usually you shouldn't do this, but like a lot of times comedians will kind of riff and make fun of the comic that brought down the party before them. And be like, oh wow, what's up with that guy, right? Yeah, I mean, you don't you don't want to shit on the guy before you, but at the same time you also sometimes need to acknowledge the elephant in the room. So Yeah. Like I yeah. did I did notice there was this one line where uh Ira was like saying, "Hey, you know, don't worry, things are going to liven up. The next comic uh his dog died, so that'll be great." And then uh <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. And then he said, and "Then Robin Williams will come out here and slit his wrists." Which Oh my god, I that line hit me hard cuz I did not remember that line of course when this movie was done it was robin williams was still with us and yeah that when i heard that i was like holy shit <laughs> that and yeah. I, I looked it up robin williams did slit his wrists and he hung himself oh god and i'm like oh my fucking god i mean you know it's what TV Tropes calls a funny aneurysm moment, where it's like you accidentally hit on something that years later hits in a totally different way just because of yeah. shit that happened. You hear that, Seth Rogen? You killed Robin Williams. Hope you're happy. Oh my fucking God. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow. I hope they at least edit that out of TV hearings of this movie. <laughs> I really hope so, too. Yikes. It's like how they edit out that... um. What, uh, Time to Get Paid, Blow Up Like the World Trade from the Biggie song, uh, Juicy? Oh, I didn't know about that. Uh, um, wow. <laughs> it, it, no, uh, yeah, I'll give a little hip-hop history, folks. Yeah. But, uh, yikes. Yikes on bikes. Yeah. Well, hey, there. I'm a big comic book guy. There are comic books where disasters happen to the World Trade Center. And so, yeah. Yeah, I mean... People are just going to accidentally predict things sometimes, but wow, that hit hard. Um, yeah, that, was, that was rough. So, okay. So George Simmons, you know, he sees the act. He sees the, 
uh, Ira is busting his chops. He, but he sees him after the show and he, and he tells him, hey, you're a good writer. I, I think I'd w- want you to write some jokes for me. I've got a corporate gig coming up for MySpace. Um, how much does that date this movie? <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> MySpace was a thing. I mean, I think MySpace was just kind of barely hanging on in 2009 because Facebook had already kind of overtaken them. Right, yeah, because like they do have that joke, uh, fuck Facebook. Right. This guy. And, but, and also, I liked how in this, uh, like when George basically calls Ira, saying, oh yeah, like you and your buddy uh, Leo. He was really funny too. I want both of you yes. to, to write jokes for me. And then Ira is, is like, well, maybe you don't want to hire Leo. He's kind of flaky, but like, I'll be there. He just he just poaches the gig. He just and he doesn't even tell Leo about it because yeah, Jonah Hill is apparently doing better for himself. We find out later in the movie apparently he has family money, so paying rent's not the big ass problem for him that it is for for Ira. Right, because like Leo, he has a room because he pays rent, but right, you know, because like Leo, like you said, has family money, but Ira is like literally sleeping on a fold out couch, so yes. like he he does. He does need this more than Leo, but it's still kind of a dick move. It's yeah, you you don't want to stab your friends in the back to get ahead. Um, you know, hopefully it's like you know a rising tide lifts all boats sort of thing. Exactly, you get it. Yeah, yeah, you know, like like uh, the Judd Apatow. He was friends with Sandler, and now he's putting him in his movie. Look at that. It all the, it's a circle of life or something or symbiosis or something. Anyway, yeah, anyway, symbiotes. Yeah, so they go to they go to the corporate gig. They, they there's a limo. They take a private jet. James Taylor is there. James Taylor has a random cameo in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> apparently it was originally supposed to be Bruce Springsteen, and Bruce was like, "No, no, no, I'm, I'm not feeling it. <laughs> Can't do it, brother." Yeah, I'll be in half fidelity. I'm not. I'm not going <laughs> to do your app, your movie Apatow. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> And and George, because they see James Taylor performing, they were like, oh, we had to put James Taylor up early. George says, oh, Ira, you do five minutes before me. And then Ira, because he's very young, very green, uh, he, he he basically does all the jokes that he wrote for George and burns off all that material. Um, I mean, look, if I was that green, I I might do that too. I can't, yeah. I, I can't fault him. Well, I mean, if you, yeah, if you're doing five minutes and you don't expect to, you you do... Whatever you think will work. And he just wrote those jokes. They were fresh in his mind. So, yeah, I get that. He didn't really do it maliciously, but... Yeah. But he comes off and he's like, you did all the material. <laughs> what the hell? I panicked, man. Sorry. Yeah. And and we find out that, that George is making like $30,000 or or was it 300000 I forget. Something like that. I, I think he... I know he gave... Uh, he gave Ira like a grand, I believe. He gave him a grand, which, I mean... That's a good amount to make when you're a struggling comedian, but the the pay disparity is pretty huge. Yeah, uh, it's that's the business. Yeah, um, and and Tom from MySpace has a cameo with this. Yeah, I was like, wow, that takes me back. <laughs> yeah, remember when Tom from MySpace was like, is you know, it was a pre Zuckerberg era, it was a pre Elon Musk era. Is just Tom, just that dude in the white t-shirt looking over his shoulder like, hey, hey, everybody, hey, I'm, your, I'm your first friend. Remember, we're, bu- we're buddies now. <laughs> we're buddies. You want to attach a song to I, I think you could defriend Tom. I think you could if you, you chose to. I don't think you just automatically got him like a U2 album. Uh, <laughs> what kind of monster would do that? <laughs> you know, 
Remember when people got the U2 album and everyone just lost their shit? Yeah, like, I mean, it was a minor inconvenience. Like, they're, they're trying to do something nice. I think it would have gone over better if they were like, hey, you can go here and download the U2 album for free. I think what pissed everybody off was, you are getting this U2 album whether you want it or not. Right. Just sit back and take it. So, yeah. Oh, Jesus, that sounded creepy. No, no. Well, it kind of was that. I think people don't like to be reminded how little control they have over this stuff, you know? Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so, so Ira does well enough that George is, Simmons is like, hey, I'll hire you on as my assistant for, you know, 15K a week. Uh, not a bad gig. No, not at all. Um, at least in terms of money. Um, Hell, I'll do that and, right now. And he's like, you're not just going to be writing for me. You're, you're, it's going to be more like you're getting me soda and picking up my dry cleaning and that sort of thing. But still. <laughs> Dude, yeah, that's that's That beats working in a deli, scooping up a uh, potato salad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, Ira's getting a little more confident. He asks Daisy out to a Wilco show. She agrees. She says yes. He's like, yay, going to a Wilco show with with a lady. Hey. With a, cute lady. <laughs> with a real live lady. With a lady. I mean, hey. Yeah. So. And I think also around this time, this is where uh, George tells Ira exactly what's going on with him and the disease. Yes. And like, yeah, I haven't told the press, so you won't see it in the press or anything like that. Right. And he's, yeah, and he's of course, he says, hey, don't tell anybody. And of course, Ira immediately tells his friends. Yeah, we see it almost. It's almost a Gilligan cut where, yeah, he's he's out hiking with Schwartzman and Jonah Hill, and he and they're all like, "Oh wow, I can't believe he's dying." Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And then of course, uh, th- 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 there was a scene that like I really thought was really kind of captures the the essence of the comedic of the comedian where they t- were talking about death, and then uh-huh. uh, I think Jason Schwartzman's character Mark tells about his grandfather passing and how they were in a room with no windows and they saw like a flicker and a candle yeah and like how it really like you know shook him up and then uh, leo says oh yeah i don't don't i mean i don't know if your your grandpa's in heaven because you don't pass through a little candle fire to get to heaven you don't don't go through flame to get to heaven i think i I think i think think it's in hell i think he's in hell yeah and they're just saying this (laughs) and it, it is so how comedians bust each other's chops um yeah, and it really captured that. I I wish there was a little more of that type of thing in the movie because, I, yeah, oh, okay, we find this more fascinating than the average person because we're comedy nerds and we're comedians. Um, but I think it is a very interesting subculture and in how they relate to each other. Yeah, I mean, I think so, I think we get a good amount of that in there just because uh, I think we do. I I I just personally would have liked a little more of that. I okay. I find that much more interesting than say. Home movies of numbers from cats, or oh, we we're we're, uh, we're getting uh, up, we're getting there, we're getting up to stuff it. Stuff about uh, the state of somebody's marriage. Um, oh boy, I can't wait. Where that that is shit. I could care less about. Oh boy, it's it's coming, it's coming, listeners, it's coming. Just um, but okay, you know, I'm just doing a little foreshadowing. Just okay, sprinkling little hints. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do think we do get a, a good amount of like seeing mm-hmm. like how comedians joke when they're uncomfortable like when they go see yes. the, the german doctor or a swedish doctor and he, yeah. and he tells them well you know the the test on we got the results back they're not good and of course yeah. it's just them riffing on how he looks like some uh, evil james bond character 
Yeah, they're just like, you know, oh, I enjoy you and all the movies where you try to kill Bruce Willis because he looks like he's a henchman in Die Hard. Yes. And, and he's he's telling him like literal life and death shit, but they are so unable to deal with real human emotion and be sincere for like two seconds of their day that they are just busting on this guy mercilessly just because he has this Germanic accent yeah and like, I think again we see more of that uh like when he meets up with his other comedian friends like uh, yes. when uh, Andy Dick and Charles mm-hmm. Fle- Charles Fleischer is Charles <laughs> Fleischer with a lot of hair dye going on <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's he's not letting it go natural no it's I find it so disturbing now you see somebody who they, they have an aged face but it's still like dark brown or jet black hair and it's just no just let's just let it go man just let, let it let us see a little gray. It's okay. We know you're human. Uh-huh. Yeah, like we know your your hair color can't be the same color it was in in the seventies. Like some no. time has passed. Let's yeah yeah. Just, like if you have crow's feet, you should have some gray hairs. That is just the way of the world. Just, um, just embrace it, man. I, a scene I really liked was where Ira's playing George, like a mixtape uh, that he's or not a mixtape, but a mix. <laughs> A, a playlist that he's made for him. Dave, what's that? <sighs> yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, old man. I'm t- I'm all young and Gen Z. I don't know what no tape is. I'm out, I'm out here listening on the Spotify's. He's, it's a music mix that he's made for him. And, he, and one of the songs he plays that really gets to George is Warren Zevon's Keep Me In Your Heart for a While, right. which is a super affecting song, especially if you know the backstory behind it. Do you, do you know... About that that song, uh, yeah, I believe like that's when uh, Warren Zevon knew he was about to. He wasn't long yeah. for this world, so he made that song as like a sort of a goodbye to everybody. He, he made this this one last album, um, and he got like so many of his friends, like Bruce Springsteen, Jackson Brown, uh, other people. I'm forgetting. I know Billy Bob Thornton because he and Warren Zevon were very tight. Billy Bob Thornton played on the album. Um, and, you know, there are some really rocking songs on there and there are some really, and there are some really touching songs in there like Keep Me In Your Heart. And it's an eerie thing to listen to because it's literally from a man who is dying and who knows he is dying and knows he does not have much longer on this earth. And it, it really gets to George for that reason. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, ooh, yeah. Ooh, it's, it's it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It really is. And, uh, and then, then we also, yeah, there are a lot of, cameos in this film too which i also noticed like yeah uh, i think yeah yeah <laughs> i again i mean i don't know maybe i'll bring it up but yeah this i think this is one of the things that kind of hold the movie back a bit because uh-huh. like judd apatow does have a tendency to get a little indulgence with his films yeah i would say i'd say that's fair uh like uh i mean it is nice to see all these cameos like especially from a you know if you're a comedy nerd like me mm-hmm. and uh you get and like like the scene where he's uh, in the cu- in the club with the old timers, like he's with like Paul Reiser. We see we see George Wallace. We see uh, Carol Leifer. Carol Leifer. Carol Leifer. Yeah. We see George Coe, one of the original SNL uh, cast members. Oh, geez, I I either missed or didn't recognize George Coe. Wow, he's in there somewhere. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it is cool to see all these uh, you know cool old timers, and you do mm-hmm. get a sense of his life. And I understand it does sort of you know kind of you know world building, and it gives the the story a little bit of heft to it but right. at the same time it's not it doesn't really push the, the narrative well, along i mean though the scenes like that they are all i think funny in and of themselves 
but yeah, most of them are not moving the plot forward. It's just kind of telling us stuff, things we already know. Like, yeah, the, the character of George Simmons is super famous and he's on a par with these other people and he goes back with them and yeah, and comedians bust each other's chops. But we, we know all that from other scenes in the movie. So yeah, absolutely. Do we 100% need them? I don't know. Yeah. I, again, I found them more enjoyable than other things. There's a, there's a scene. Um, okay. I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Let's jump. But, Let's jump. Okay. Uh, about halfway or maybe two thirds in the way in the movie, George learns that he's doing better. His cancer is apparently in remission and he is going to live. And we see like sort of a part, he, it takes him a while to tell anybody about his health issues. Right. Um, yeah. And we see a big party, a celebration after he finds out, oh yeah, this is not going to be terminal after all. The medicine we're trying is working. And we see some other comedian cameos. We see Norm MacDonald who uh, says, hey, congratulations, you got cured of AIDS. That's how comedians talk, people. And and Dave Attell, who like looks at him and goes, "You're alive." <laughs> <You're> <laughs> I, I was like, "Yes, that is a hundred percent how comedians." Because even even when you are celebrating a good friend of yours not dying, yeah, you you're still making jokes. You're still because that is just how comedians do it. It's how we show love. Yep. Uh, yeah. So we we do see Norm. We see Attell. We see Sarah Silverman. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see Ray Romano. We see we see him talking to Eminem, out of all people, out of nowhere. Apparently, this was Eminem's first movie part since he did Eight Mile. So that was like seven years later. Eminem's like, "Yeah, I'll do the Appetite movie." And and again, it's a very funny. And he sees Ray Romano staring at him, and he's and then he starts picking a fight with Ray Romano, which is just kind of hilarious in and of itself. Yeah, it's a weird scene because like in one way like he is sort of saying he is sort of adding to the movie a little bit but then because like in, yeah. in the movie that like, he, he's having like a really hard heart conversation with him saying oh wow like he re- he seriously thinks he should have died because like he's saying like now what you're gonna go back to living the life you were unhappy with before you got the diagnosis you're gonna go back to your empty mansion by alone you know, having right. sex with women who don't care about you, that's... Yeah. You should have yeah. gone out on top, like, which is... like that. Yeah, this was your way out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but that is an interesting thought. Like, but then... It, it really is. Yeah. And, yeah, and I wish the movie had kind of examined that a little more. Um, I think we should back up a little bit, because we did, we did skip over the Thanksgiving scene. Yes, let's go back to that. <laughs> so let's go back. So before this, before George finds out he's all better, when he's still kind of resigned to the fact that he is going to die sometime soon... He gets together at uh, the apartment for, for Ira and Mark and Leo and uh, Daisy and some of the other people from Yo Teach are there too. Bo Burnham's in the cast. Yeah, a young Bo Burnham. Yeah, yeah, young young Bo Burnham. Excuse me. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and this was I think a little before Bo Burnham really broke. So yeah, like he, I know I, you do see him earlier in the movie as like one of the students on uh, right. Yo, Yo, the actors on Yo Teach. Yeah, yeah. And uh, also, I think at this point, uh, it was revealed that Mark and Daisy uh, hooked up and slept together, which uh, yes, kind of yes. broke Iris' heart. Like, he kind of laid in, like, he kind of lays into Daisy saying, hey, like, I, you know, you slept with my roommate now. We, I, we can't. How, how could you? Yeah, how would I? How can I? I can't get past this. And, 
And Mark is very unrepentant. He's like, I gave you 10 days. I gave you an extra 11 and you <laughs> couldn't make it happen. He's like, you had three weeks. and Yeah. And like, so, and Ira's really angry at him. But then Daisy is like, like, this is the longest conversation we ever had. We barely know each other. Why are you angry at me yeah. for doing this? Like, And I really like that. I really like that. Yeah, it wasn't. It, it really made you realize that, yes, this is was really just. Ira having a crush and he built up this relationship in his head. And, you know, he, I guess he kind of started thinking like, Oh, this is going to be my future girlfriend. Yeah. But yeah. And I love that. She's like, I'm allowed to hook up with who I want to hook up with. Yeah. It's like, and, it's like, yeah. yeah, it's like you're angry at me for cheating, but we're not dating. So what's, yes. the, what's the problem here? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, 100%. it's a, it's a good point. It's a very good point. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Very good. So, uh, yeah, so then they have the Friendsgiving. Um, uh, George gives a really nice speech about how, like, you know, he, he's, like, he kind of points out, like, oh, wow, I'm the old guy here. Like, all of you are, like, super young, young millennials. But it's, uh, he's just like, enjoy this time. This is, like, going to be the best time of your lives. Like, you're going to look yeah. back and be like, wow, like, th- that was really the best times of our lives. Time of slips away. And, yeah, then it slips away before you know it. And that, and that really... I think it spoke to me seeing this as a 37 year old man. It really speaks to me now seeing it as like a 50 year old man. Yeah. It's uh, so. something unpredictable, but in the end it's right. I hope you had the time of your life. Wow. You're, you're so profound. Darren. Thank you. I try. That's, you should, you should write that down. I bet I you should, could, you could do something with that. I should. Where's my pen? <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, write, write a, write a book of poetry on that yellow Lego pad. <laughs> So take the photographs and still frames in your mind. Um, and and I like that when the Thanksgiving scene comes around, we see that uh, Ira and Daisy have forgiven each other a little bit. They've kind of realized how Ira more than Daisy. Ira has realized how he was out of line, how he didn't have any sort of claim on her. And, and, and George Simmons is trying to like build his boy up and he's like, oh, well, you know, he's, he's got a really great penis, you know, you should check it out. And that's another thing that happened throughout this movie. He talks about like Ira's cock quite a bit. Apparently that was drawn from life. Apparently that was something that Adam Sandler did when he was roommates with Judd Apatow. He would. He kept demanding to see Judd Apatow's penis, or or maybe demanding is too strong a word. Yeah, that, that sounds like he sec- politely asked because <laughs> um, he was like, "I just want to know what I'm dealing with here." Yeah, that sounds like uh, sexual harassment almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, demand to see. The- yeah, and I don't. I don't think any actual penis showing went on, but it, it was just one of the things that uh, Sandler would do. Yeah, um, that we know of. <laughs> but but I like that. I like that. Oh yeah, he. You should give Ira a, a chance because you know he he's packing and and she and Aubrey Plaza just has a great lunch. She's like, oh you know, well, that's okay because I have a really skinny vagina. So yeah, and then Seth Rogen tags it by saying, oh, you should probably feed it carbs. Yeah, <laughs> which hilarious. I mean, that's that's the Apatow formula at its best, mm-hmm. where they are riffing and they are saying supremely funny things that are funnier than most lines you could write. And I mean, I, I like when Ira's kind of forgiving her for sleeping with semi-famous Mark. He says, oh, no, I totally get it. When I first moved here, I blew Mr. Belvedere. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
<laughs> Which, you know, very, very funny. Right. All right, so that's the that's basically the first half of the movie we like. So maybe The first half of the movie, or as what I would like to call the good half of the movie. All right, here we go. So... <laughs> okay, after George... After he's, like, shaken off the leukemia... Um... Uh, yeah, because I think basically what happened is, like, as he was meeting up with people, telling them about his diagnosis, mm-hmm. one of the p- persons he wants to meet with is uh, Laura, who, you know, played by uh, Leslie Mann, Jed Apatow's right. wife. Mm-hmm. And, like, basically she's the one that got away. She was the one that George was going to marry, but right. he let her go because he was too immature and he cheated on he, her. He and cheated on her. They broke up, like, 12 years ago. She got married sometime, I guess, shortly after that because I think she says she's been married for 12 years. So right. she married the rebound guy, I think. Yeah, basically. So like basically they they were able to connect and they were able to sort of really kind of, you know, like bury the hatchet about their past and like they were really sharing and there was like connecting mm-hmm. again. So then Yes. Uh so then I guess after that, like I think uh George decided to do a show up in San Francisco where she lives and then she came out to to see him and they started to connect a little bit more. Uh Ira told yeah. him Ira told her that, you know, the it seems like the, the illness is gone, and then they start to sort yeah. of connect a little bit more. He, he has Ira tell her, like, midway through his show. He doesn't have the guts to tell her himself. Yeah. Which, I mean, we kind of increasingly realize over the course of this movie that George is not a good person. He's he's a fucked up person. Yeah. And yeah. Like there's a there's a big moment at the end where Ira just kind of lets him have it, and he's like, "You are the one person I who's learned nothing from a dear death experience. You you got worse." <laughs> um, yeah, like I think I think that's the basic uh, you know thing. Yeah, and but I would have loved if the movie would have explored that more, like why he is the way he is and why he. Yeah, I mean, when there there's sort of a montage of him like telling people in his life about his sickness and we see a scene of him with his sister and she's like berating him of like you don't know your nephew and he's like oh well i send him all these dvds and, and she's like he doesn't want dvds he wants his uncle to be a part of his life and uh yeah like uh, i would have loved more yeah. of that like to see like why he is the way he is like he talks they they kind of bring up the fact of his relationship with him and his dad and there is yeah. a scene with him and his dad, but it's really quickly, and they seem to make up okay, but I would have liked to have gone more into that. Like, I would have liked to see yeah. more as to, like, why he is the way he is, and he thinks the way he thinks, but we didn't quite get that. Instead, we got to no. see uh, Apatow's home movies. We just take, the movie takes this really weird left turn, and and all this material, it feels so much more tacked on than what I remember. I mean, I, I know I felt this at the time, and this is the first time I've watched this movie since 2009 that I've gone back and revisited it. And but, wow, it is it is like a totally different movie. It it felt like I was watching the first season of a TV show, and then like say 15 minutes into the uh, 15 episodes into the season, I suddenly started watching the fourth season of a show with some of the same characters, but the plot is in a completely different place. That's kind of what it felt like. It skipped ahead to the fourth season of a show without any warning. Yeah, no, I, I would totally agree. So, so basically, what happens at this part is, um, I think after like there's still uh, I, not Ira, uh, George and Laura are connecting. Laura invites 
uh, George and Ira to her house to, you know, see her kids right. and stuff. And right. they're having a good time. And, um, also, and they spend a couple days there. Yeah, because, like, I think basically, like, it was supposed to be, like, a, like a night. And um, yeah. also, and also, I think they also bring up the, you know, the fact that Laura has a husband. But Laura right. says, like, oh, yeah, he's away on business a lot. And, like, you can tell there's, like, their relationship isn't the best right now. It's kind of on shaky right. ground. She's a, she's a little vulnerable, I guess you could say. We have five minutes of just the family dogs licking peanut butter off of people for no reason. <laughs> Because it's uh, funny, right? I just wrote in my notes, why the peanut butter game? Why Why does that make the final cut of this <laughs> thing? Do we need to see five minutes of dogs licking peanut butter off of, of, of Seth Rogen, Adam Sandler, and Judd Apatow's family? Was that vital to include in this movie? No, I, I mean, I guess it was supposed to add to the charm and the lore of... It did not. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm just... Uh, yeah, so we see like uh, George really you know, having fun with the kids and the family, really enjoying it. So like they stay for yeah. they want to stay for dinner, and at one point right. George is like, "Hey, uh, me and Laura, we're gonna go out uh, grocery shopping and get some stuff for dinner. So uh, right. you stay here and watch the kids. We'll be right back." And, and f- instead, they go out to the guest house and they like immediately hook up. Yeah, it's. It's, and, it's bone bone city bone town well it's it's not 100 percent bone city but uh we are we, we go to uh, uh we are we are in the third basal area yeah this it's yeah. it's definitely uh we're touching some private parts there there are there are some oral pleasures going on mm, yes sexual so, sexual gratifications Co- yeah. coitus one would say and then and then they literally come back and they're just like Oh hey, yeah, we didn't get food. Let's just order pizza. <laughs> it's it could not be more obvious that they just went off and hooked up. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. But I also like the again, this is like another thing I I noticed like where they or I mentioned where Apatow was putting like home movies a lot in this film. And at one point after they you know uh, consummate, they're just, they're watching uh, basically Leslie Mann's acting reel. Like we, yeah. Like we see, like, and it's genuine stuff from Leslie Mann's early career. Yeah, yeah. Like we see a Coca Cola commercial Leslie Mann was in. We see a clip from a movie uh, Leslie Mann was in with Lily Taylor, some indie movie called Things I Never Told You. And Uh it's it's like all like literally. Is that where she had the really short red hair? Yes, it's like a really short. Yeah, I I looked it up because like this has to like Lily Taylor's there. This has to be. Uh, Yeah, I mean it's all obviously real stuff, and she and her character talks about how um, it came down to her and Cameron Diaz for the mask, and I know that is real. Leslie Mann was the second choice for Cameron Diaz's part in the mask. Oh, really? And that was Cameron Diaz's big breakout part. So that was a real. I guess you would say a, a real turning point in Leslie Mann's career, like whether she would go up to the next level. And obviously, you know, that started everything for Cameron Diaz and Cameron Diaz became, became this huge movie star. And Leslie Mann had, a, has a great career. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but uh, she never quite reached the Cameron Diaz level. And, and so much so that even later in the movie, when we meet her husband, he is talking about how hot Cameron Diaz is yeah. and how incredible Cameron Diaz is right in front of his wife, Leslie Mann. Yeah, uh, a little just. Dis- and I'm just going to call her Leslie Mann because there really is no separation between her 
<laughs> if Judd Apatow can't separate those two characters, why should we? No, I'm not. I'm not going to make the effort. Judd Apatow isn't. <laughs> uh, yeah. So basically, uh, yeah. So the two of them are rewatching, kind of reliving the past. We're watching uh, Leslie Mann's old uh, acting uh, reel. Her reel. And yeah. Um, yeah, you could tell, like Leslie Mann, like uh, like she wants she wants to be an actress, but you know. You know, life got in the way, so she kind of gave it up. Like her character in this movie has given it up for the suburban life to be a to be a wife and a mother. Exactly. And I don't know if Leslie Mann ever stopped acting. I want to say no, but yeah. So yeah, exactly. So <laughs> not quite in the same place as real life Leslie Mann. I yeah. So um, uh, yeah. So then the, the, they're all having dinner, and uh, guess who shows up? But Leslie Mann's uh, husband, uh, Clark. Good Apatow? Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Hey, Leslie, man. What's going on? Hey, Leslie, man. Huh. Uh, but no, in this one, uh, it's it's played by, Leslie Mann's husband is played by uh, Eric Banner, who plays Clark, who's the Australian uh, businessman who uh, wanted to be a rugby player, or footy, right. as they as, as I've learned they call it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Eric and, Banner. And yeah, Eric Banner acting in his native Australian accent. Apparently, that was a choice that was made because they wanted to make it easier for Eric Banner to improvise in character. Mm. And you know, tough to tough to improvise in character when you're also doing an accent that is not your own. Yeah, not bad. But uh, yeah, Eric Banner, pretty charming in this role. I think. I think it was. He started out as a comedy star in Australia. I know. I mean, we here in America, I think we first. Discovered him in Chopper, and when he did the the Hulk movie that Ang Lee did, yeah, and uh, he was the villain in Star Trek the same year that this movie came out. I can't remember which came first, but yeah, that that tends to happen. A lot of uh, like, uh, like uh, actors who come to who get this quote unquote discovered in the U.S. but are from like the U.K. or outside the mm-hmm. U.S. Like a lot of them have like a comedic background that a lot of Americans aren't familiar with, like uh, you know Hugh Laurie yeah. or. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Emma Thompson, yeah, and whatnot. yeah, like, yeah. like when, so when we find out that they're funny, we were surprised, like, oh wow, you're funny. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We first saw you in that Oscar bait. What the hell? <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. I've kind of been, I'm, yeah, I've, I've been funny. I'm Olivia Coleman. I'm hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you ever seen Hot Fuzz? I, I'm in Hot Fuzz. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, hey, hey, uh, uh, just a quick aside. Um, Google. Olivia Coleman, number Wang, number Wang, all one word, number word number Wang, W A N G, hilarious. All right, this this sounds like a trap. I, I mean, that's no, no, it's nothing dirty, nothing dirty, just very, very funny comedy sketch. Number Wang, trust me. All right, D- do okay. it, do it, listeners. Number Wang, apparently number it's Wang. yeah. Just just pause the podcast briefly. Come back, come back. We have more to say. But uh, yeah, just uh, take a quick look at Number Wang, Appar- and you'll thank me for it. Apparently, it's uh, SFW, according to Mr. Trumbull here. There you go. Yeah. Uh, you go. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So his and we're back. Wasn't that hilarious? Oh my! God. Wasn't I right? Wasn't funny stuff, right? Right. Knee yeah. slapper. Yes. Uh, yeah. So we get to know Clark, and he's. Uh, I mean, he's a nice enough guy. He's into like you know, sort of spiritual Eastern philosophies and medicine. But he's also a bit of a dick when it comes to his uh, wife's, uh, you know, ex career as an actress. You know, and at this point in our plot description, you may be saying, "Hey, what the hell does this have to do with everything we've seen in the previous 
hour 45 minutes of this movie you would be 100 correct what does it have to do uh answer is not a lot yeah i think yeah it features some of the same characters yeah like this is yeah like i, I remember in the theater watching this being like hey what's happening here with the movie and, and remember our main character george simmons or one of our main characters he is he is through the leukemia. We have we have tied off the major plot point of this movie, but the movie just keeps on a rolling. Um, yeah. There's also a weird random scene where we see uh, another scene from Mark's sitcom Yo Teach, and now suddenly Jonah Hill's character of Leo is on it. And I just had this momentary confusion. I was like, wait, was he supposed to be on the show too? And and they later address it and they say like, oh yeah, I got Leo a guest spot on Yo Teach. But I, it was very confusing because I was like, wait, was he supposed to be on the show too all this time? Uh, yeah, no, they, they cleared that up. Like he wasn't on the, yeah, it is, yeah, it is a little confusing because yeah, like he wasn't up before, but now he is. Yeah, uh, I wish they just mentioned that he got the guest spot before we see the guest spot. Right. And uh, oh, also we should probably also mention that uh, Leo does find out that George wanted both of them to write for him, and the yes, he gets a that's that's the other betrayal thing that they work through at the Thanksgiving dinner. Absolutely, yes. yes. So a big a big time for forgiveness at the Thanksgiving dinner, as as I hope you all had yes. at your Thanksgiving dinner. I hope you forgave you and yours. I hope you forgave you and yours. I hope you tied off all those subplots. I hope you didn't immediately lurch into other unrelated subplots directly after that, the way this movie does. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, so as the night goes on, I think they spend the night there because I think, yes. uh, was I think like Ira probably had one too much to drink and he's like, like, oh, yeah. now it's a long drive. They say like it's an eight hour drive from San Francisco back to LA. Yeah. I looked it up. I I'd honestly forgotten they were in San Francisco. Yeah. Like I looked, uh, at, I think he said they're in Marin County, which is like an hour away from San Francisco. So they're even further away. So yeah, I, I think, I think Judd Apatow just assumes that everyone comes from California. So we all have this California geography hardwired into our heads. Yeah. Um, we do not. <laughs> as, as somebody who's only been to California once, I had no idea that like San Francisco and LA are so far away from each other. Yeah. We, we don't, we did not have a point of reference for yeah, it, yeah. but I think in Judd Apatow's head, he's like, well, of course, how do you not know that? Um, yeah. Like for the, well, Judd Apatow, you've lived in Hollywood since the nineties. Yeah. So like Apatow, you're from L you're from Long Island. Come on. Don't, don't do this. Yeah. Like for, yeah. for, for our East coast fans from San Francisco to LA is basically like driving from New York to Buffalo. Ah, it's, it's far. Yeah, it's far. It's so far. I mean, you you have to, I mean, just to throw in a line or two, maybe beyond the, oh, it's an eight-hour drive, just to give us a little context. Maybe mention San Francisco a couple more times just to fix it in our heads. You know, like, sometimes I'm, when I'm talking to people from the West Coast, I say, like, oh, yeah, I've got to head into the city. And you say, you say that here in New Jersey on the East Coast, you say heading into the city. Everyone takes that to mean you're heading into New York City because that is the city. Yeah. And then, but I'm talking to West Coast people and they, they're like, wait, what? What city? And then I have to go, oh, no, when, when I say the city, I mean New York City. Oh, yeah, that, that is a thing. I didn't, yeah, like if you're on the East Coast, yeah. you just call Manhattan the city. You, yeah. you call Long Island the island. It's just kind of... Like you call the Jersey Shore the shore. The shore, yeah. Just a little, yeah. like a little bit of a shorthand there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so uh, they spend the night. Uh, the next morning, they're about to... In the guest house. In, yeah. in the guest house. Uh, they're about yeah. to leave. 
Uh, and I think then one of the kids mentioned that, oh, yeah, George uh, said that he's not sick anymore. Ira told us. And then, of yeah. course, that that raised a suspicion with Clark saying, hey, what's going on here? Yeah. You hear what, what, what's all this then? Yeah, you're, you hear me yeah. often? Oh, you're there, there then? You putting a little shrimp on the barbie? Oh, putting a dingo in my baby? <laughs> yeah that's not a knife this is a knife oh <laughs> that's all our australian knowledge just whatever we... those were our flawless australian accents people <laughs> yes hope you enjoyed that's right and um and yeah and yeah uh... and then they get into an argument on the front lawn uh laura right. mocks his accent which slips into a jamaican accent right that scene goes on a little too long and most scenes at towards the end of this movie they go on a little too long. Yeah. At one point, Seth Rogen he literally says, "I feel like I'm watching, I'm witnessing a slow motion train wreck." And I wrote down, "Me too, Seth Rogen. <laughs> Me too." And I was I was so enjoying the first half of this movie, and uh, second half not so much. Yeah, it, again, it, so it takes a turn. So then, basically, uh, Clark speeds off, leaves his the family, right. and. Um, George, and then Ira is like, all right, well, we should let them handle this. We should go back home to L.A. But then George is insistent that they stay. He's like, oh, no, I got to stay here and help her. I mean, like, right. you know, she's very distraught right now. He, he wants to be her rescuer. Yeah. Uh, he, he, I guess he's he's kind of seeing the life that he could have had if he hadn't been a dipshit who cheated on his girlfriend back in the day. Because he, he wants to really just kind of step into her life and be like the husband and father to the kids. Yeah, like he's basically like test driving what it's like to what and seeing what it's like to be a father in a family. So he's like, Oh, I'll just, right. I'll just test drive this family and see if it's a good fit. Which but is, we, we sort of realize that he is much too much of a self-centered person to be that for anybody. He, he cannot give enough of himself to be a good husband, to be a good father, which, uh, you know, present, which, uh, Laura realizes, let's talk about it. The cat scene. <sighs> Okay. <laughs> Let's do it. I have thoughts on this. I have thoughts on this, people. Um, how do we describe this? If you have not seen the movie Funny People. All right. So basically, right, I'll describe it. So basically, yeah, please. Uh, you know, it's a George kind of, you know, being there, hanging out with the family while Laura is, is you know, distraught over the argument they've gotten into. But, you know, now that George is there, she's a little bit easier. She's thinking about getting her acting career started again. And so the two, they're all just sort of, you know, calming down after the big fight that Clark and Laura had on the, on the lawn. So at one point, uh, Laura shows uh, a home movie of her daughter singing yeah. uh, in the, in the uh, singing, doing a performance of the musical Cats that she did at school. Doing the song Memories. Memories. And, Memories, ba, 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 ba. Right. Yeah. and the footage, again, actual home footage of uh, Judd Apatow's daughter that, singing memories from cats that you know yeah. Japata's daughter uh, actually did in her school play. So we are literally watching Judd Apatow's home movies. Yes. Now. And uh it's a very moving performance. Uh Iris tearing up. Well, we are we are told it's a very we're told. <laughs> we are we are explicitly told like everyone's like isn't this amazing? Isn't this wonderful? Isn't this great? I mean, there might as well be like a, a scroll running across the bottom of the screen like you will love my daughter's performance in cats. This is what you should feel. You, my you should feel. God, it's it is 
unbelievable. And and the indicator, the tag that we are supposed to think that George is a horrible person is while this is happening, he is checking his phone during that. But I'm sorry, if someone is like showing you their daughter performing in Cats and they're like, look at this, look at this video of of my daughter and and tell me how amazing it is. Uh, I think checking your phone is a, the normal, proper reaction to that shit. Yeah. I mean, I think we're in a world now where people just check their phone. Just, you know, it's, it's not considered rude anymore, really. Like, That's true. That's true. It was, it was, the rules were sort of different in 20, in 2009. Right. It's a different time. Um, it's such a compulsive thing to check your phone now because, but I'm just like, if anyone tries to show me the musical Cats for any reason, yes, I am looking at my phone during that because I know no entertainment is going to come from the musical Cats. <laughs> um, the musical Cats is horrible, people. Um, I, I think I only saw it once when I was like on a class trip when I was a teenager. And even then I was like, that's uh, okay. I'm good. I, I saw I saw a, a stage production when I was a kid, uh, you know, with my parents. Didn't have any choice. Okay. I don't remember liking it at the time. Um, and I saw it again somewhere in my thirties community theater production, but it was, I, I had a thing for one of the actresses in it. Hey so now, all right. I was like, okay, well I get to see her ride around in, uh, eighties style spandex for an hour and a half. Um, my man. still not good. Yeah. Still, even, even with that, I did not enjoy the musical cats. So that tells you how bad the musical cats is. It's no, no, I uh, bueno. Um, and <laughs> And later, later, Leslie Van is like yelling at Adam Sandler about this. And she goes, you didn't even cry when Mabel sang Cats. What is wrong with you? And I'm like, wait, okay. So now the standard is not pay attention all the way through and compliment after, which is a reasonable, polite thing to do. Now the standard is you didn't cry and therefore you are horrible. I, so if if this performance does not bring you to tears, you are a bad person. That is what Judd Apatow and Leslie Mann are saying to us. That is how wonderfully spectacular. Mm-hmm. Uh, which daughter is it? It's Maude Apatow, right? Yes. That's how wonderfully spectacular and transcendent Maude Apatow's singing of memories from Cats is. Yes, you are dead inside unless you cry at this film or this, I, this, this performance again. I, I'm I'm on Adam Sandler, George Simmons' side here. Yeah, I think... Check your phone all day long when somebody tries to show you that. <laughs> yeah, I think George Simmons, his response is, well, yeah, I saw the live performance of Cats on Broadway, and it, this wasn't as good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which... <laughs> brutally frank. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a dicky thing to say. I'm sure 100% true, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because, like, yeah, you you see stuff at, like, the community theater level of stuff you've seen on Broadway. You are not going to be impressed. I I saw the producers on Broadway. I saw the producers uh, at community theater level. Yeah, the Broadway version was better. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Your your daughter can't can't hack it in Broadway. What do you want me to say? Yeah, I mean, uh, look, you're, you're going to show me some... And and some elementary school kid singing a number from Cats. Yeah, I'm gonna go to Words with Friends. <laughs> that is what I'm gonna do. I think that is the the correct thing to do when you are presented with that situation. Fair enough. Fair enough. <gasps> My God. And he plays he plays the number again during the closing credits. Wow, this really broke you. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I okay, I knew I knew the home video footage was coming. I did not remember that he played the audio of it during the closing credits. What the hell, Judd Apatow? He really likes he really loves his daughters, man. Well, okay, that's great. Judd Apatow, I love that you love your daughters. I love that you you love your wife Leslie Mann. I love that you think she's like super hot. I don't need to hear in all your movies how every other character calling Leslie Mann super hot and everyone raving about how wonderful and talented your daughters are. Yeah, I mean, I th- I, again, I think this is what this is the point where people were kind of falling out of love with Apatow because he does. I mean, this yeah. is the third movie he put his wife in. This is the second movie he put his kids in. Right. It's, at some point, it's like, and he kept putting his kids in stuff after this. The the, the show Love on Netflix, uh, Maude Apatow's in that. Um, and then she went on. She's she's now on that show um, uh, about all the high schoolers. Uh, uh, Zendaya's in it. Sydney oh, Sweeney's in it. Oh, uh, Euphoria. She's in that. Euphoria. Yeah, Maude Apatow is in Euphoria, and apparently she's become so famous from Euphoria. Um, that there there is now a generation of people who do not realize that Maude Apatow's parents were well-known. Wow. Because there was a thing on Twitter a little while ago. They were like, oh my God, Maude Apatow's dad directs? <laughs> <laughs> is this where we're at now? People forgot what happened 10 years ago? Yeah, no. I mean, I think it's just the people were just so young, they did not know that Judd Apatow had this long career in comedy, writing and directing and... Yeah, and I, I think it's yeah, and I don't want to shit on somebody for being ignorant of because you know everybody discovers things in their own way at their own pace. But oh god, yeah, it makes you feel like two hundred, man. It does, yeah. And also, um, so Maude Apatow was also in This Is Forty, and yes. she was in um, King of Staten Island too. She was, yeah. She played Pete Davidson's sister in that, and That's I remember, right. yeah. And. It's. I, I wouldn't. Does she get many jobs outside of Judd Apatow? Does it, Does Judd Apatow have anything to do with Euphoria? I don't believe so, but I mean, it wouldn't okay. surprise me that she kind of got the gig because. Like, could was, he be a producer on that or something? I don't know. Uh, I don't believe so, but like, it, it wouldn't surprise yeah. me if uh, he had some type of connection. Yeah, it's just. I guess it wouldn't bug me so much if they were doing things outside of Judd Apatow projects, but yeah. It's, it's definitely it's like, just such blatant nepotism. It's 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 kind of run rampant these days. I mean, like people say that yeah. about uh, Denzel Washington's son getting in uh-huh. to acting, or uh, yeah. like uh, Dennis Quaid's kid, Jack Quaid. Is his, oh yeah, 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 yeah. You know, uh, yeah, he's on. Uh, and you know, I I liked him on Star Trek uh, Lower Decks, and he's also on The Boys. Yeah, um, uh, or uh, like Uma Thurman's and uh, Ethan Hawke's kid, Maya Hawke. She's like Maya you know, Hawke. Yes, like it's yes. It's, uh, Lorraine Newman's uh, daughter, whose name I'm blanking on, she's on that show. Uh, Hacks. Yes, uh, Hannah Einbinder. Thank you, thank you. And uh, I mean, it happens, and I I totally get why if you're growing up in Hollywood you develop an interest in that and then you have those connections and you exploit those connections, but it's just like, <sighs> yeah, it's definitely like, wow. All right. We, we all, we all know what's happening here. We all, we all know yeah. how you got this. You, you just had, you had an in that a lot of people just don't have. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's, but I mean, this is when we're literally watching Judd Apatow's home movies of his daughter's, and it's basically everyone is just like, oh my god, that is so amazing. And I'm like, 
Is it that amazing? <laughs> is it really? That just, it's, it just irks me. No, I, I yeah, I, I, I has, so I, so I gathered. And then he uses the audio in the closing credits. That was, oh my, I, I had to text you during that. I was just yeah. like, I can't. I yeah, can't. you. He's playing, he's playing the audio during the credits. I can't. Yeah, you were beside yourself. You were like, I, this. All caps, I'm texting him in. It's like, this motherfucker. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, so, uh, on with the movie. So, uh, yeah, so I, I think at this point, uh, I think, I think Laura. We're close to the end. I knew this was close to the end, <laughs> but I lost all track of time by this point. I was like, I'm either a half hour from the end, or maybe it's two hours. Maybe time has reset somehow. Right. So I, I think at this point, like Laura's sort of starting to plan a life without uh, Clark, and they're he, she's kind of going through maybe you know se- right. separating herself from him. But then, like I think, yeah. as soon as she saw that, you know. George looked at his phone rather than his uh, amazing Tony Award-winning daughter's performance. Right, right. Where they immediately, they just automatically gave her the Oscar, the Tony, the Emmy, the Grammy. They gave her all of those. Even though she did not technically qualify for any of those, uh, still got an EGOT. Yes. Right, she did it. She did it. Yes. Uh, so I think it, like, I think they retroactively awarded her all the other awards that any other person had gotten throughout the history of time. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. Like, yeah, she, yeah, she did it all by herself, pulled herself up by yep. her bootstraps. I mean, it's all Maude Apatow. It's just we're we're living in the Maude Apatow universe. Absolutely. So I think at this point, like uh, Laura is, is kind of have a thing where she drives to the airport to see her husband Clark off because I guess he's about to go off on another business trip. This, this part I kind of. I wasn't 100% sure of, like, exactly what was happening. And, like, so she runs to the airport, and then Ira follows her. Yeah. And so she leaves George. They leave George alone with the kids. Yeah. And then Laura and Clark have a heart-to-heart about, like, yeah, I've I've been, you know, cheating with seeing other cheating with other women, but, like, that they don't mean anything to me. I really want to be with you. I want to be us to be a family. Right. And they have some – they have this, like, re- reconciliation, which – they work it out, and then Ira arrives, and he inadvertently screws it up again. Yes, exactly. And then, like, that's when Laura admits that him and George had a fling, yeah. but it wasn't anything. Like, he just went, you know, went down on her, and yeah. of course, that's that's enough to make any uh, any man angry. You know, albeit an uh, Australian rug, former rugby player angry, so. Right, right. Well, yeah, it's that it's caveman part of our brain. You know, it's the same as how Ira was reacting when he found out that Daisy, the, the woman he liked, slept with his roommate. You just, yeah, you, you just, your initial reaction is just like, ah, oh, rage. How could you know it? No one can have you but me. Um, <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. And so uh, they all race home. Uh, uh, Clark has it out with George. They're about to fight on the lawn, but of course, George is a comedian, and comedians don't fight. So he's, it's, yeah, yeah, he's like, oh, fight, fight. And he's like, I don't know how to fight. I'm a comedian. That's cute. And that's, I think that was even in the trailer. It's it's a cute line. It's a cute moment. Yeah. Um, so it's like, it's this really, really weak fight where like he, like yeah. Clark is trying to fight him, but George is like running away. And then Ira yeah. kind of hops on, t- hops on, jumps on the back of him. And, you know, it's, I think. I, I did like at the end, the movie is like zigging when you expect it to zag. Like, I like that 
Ira literally gets to the airport too late and screws up the situation more. That I did like, yes. I mean, I, I think that's cool. That's funny. I would have liked it a lot more if they'd cut out the fat before that. Absolutely. Um, and uh, Because it's, you know. yeah, at, at the length the movie is in now, it just gets exhausting to watch. It does, um, yeah. It's the, the, the returns are diminishing at this point. Yeah, they really are. They really are. And uh, yeah, so basically, like, they have a fight, then they, they break it up. Uh, George is like, you know, just tell, talks to Laura saying, tell Clark, you're going to leave him. You want to be with me. And Laura's like, no, this is my family. I don't want to break up my happy home for you. You didn't even cry during cats. Now all of a sudden it's a happy home. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a weird thing they do here. Whereas like, like, I I guess it's, I guess he's saying that like both George and the, the Leslie Mann character were were buying into the fantasy of oh if I could only be with this person I it would fix all my problems and I wouldn't have to deal with all the messiness of my current circumstance. Exactly. Yeah. I I think that's what they were going for. That's what they were going for definitely. Yeah. But then like the reality kicks in and Leslie's like wait no that's the, that's ridiculous. He's still the same person he was before. Right, and that's just you know grass is greener and, type shit. And he's also yeah, the and and my husband is this person that I have all this history with. I have two daughters with. I really have to see this out and do the best I can and and try to make this work. Absolutely, yeah, and that does make sense. I just wish we could have. Yeah. I just wish just just wish we could have gotten there a little bit sooner. I wish we could have gotten there a lot sooner. I wish we could have gotten there 20, 30, 40 minutes sooner. Right. So, uh, so on the, they take, so, uh, George and Ira take the drive back to LA, uh, you know, the, yeah. the two of them have a fight, like George right. fires Ira saying, yeah, you're, you're, you're yeah. through. And that's when Ira comes back at him. And he's like, you, you literally learned nothing from a near death experience. You got worse. You, you, you backslid. Yeah. Um, and that's great. I like, I like the idea of. He has a near-death experience, and yet he's still kind of a shitty person at the end of it. That is a, that is inherently a funny idea. Right, absolutely. I, w- I just wish maybe we could have seen that in a few other ways. You know, yeah. it, it might have been interesting to see uh, George Simmons reach out to his sister and her family yes. a bit. And we, we see, it would it probably would have made more sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Than, yeah. Uh, yeah, so then, uh, you know, uh, so basically the two of them split. Uh, Ira starts dating Daisy. Ira starts getting mm-hmm. better as a comedian. He's getting up more and more at the improv. He runs into yes. George, who's like partnered up with Randy. Randy <laughs> with eight A's. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, and then George kind of hangs back and watches Ira's set. We see mm-hmm. Ira got his job back at the deli counter. And <laughs> okay, all right. So first time I watched this movie, that didn't bug me. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. He lost his his cushy assistant job. He has to go back and you know still make a living, earn a little money. So he goes back to the deli. That's. But then I thought about it. Okay, we know from earlier in the movie he's making fifteen thousand a week at the deli. Yeah. Okay, we have a Thanksgiving scene later in the movie. They say uh, it's December because you know we're after Thanksgiving. Okay. So let's say. He works for George for maybe two months. Okay. That's reasonable, right? Yeah. That's... It's probably a two-month time frame for this movie. Yeah. Maybe three. I don't know. We're, it's a little vague, but, um, you know, because we're in L.A., they don't have weather. Um, <laughs> but if he if he's making 15000 a week and he worked for George for two months, he made 120 k 
as George's assistant. Huh. I know he lives in LA, but what the hell? Why do you have to go back to the deli right away? I didn't even think of that. I didn't think of it until this time. I mean, maybe maybe this is supposed to be like a year later or something, but huh? Yeah, like what? And I know LA is expensive, but is it? But you can't. You don't have like a few months cushion with with over hundred k to your name. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, he could have gotten his own place by now. You would think, right? Huh. You know, find your own place and pay that rent in advance. I didn't even think of that. Wow, yeah, that doesn't. Really... I didn't think of it until this time, and then I just sat down and I did the math. I was like, wait, you're making fifteen k a week, a week. That's okay. Two weeks, you're doing pretty well yeah for a year you know? doing a-okay my friend and, and this isn't 2009 dollars i didn't add up what it was in in 2022 dollars but i'm like jesus how do you have i mean does ira have a huge cocaine problem that we that might be is that how seth rogan lost all the weight <laughs> That's the part they cut out, like his. That's the part. That's the subplot that they cut out. His... Seth Rogen, his character has a huge cocaine problem. He is riding out. He becomes a heroin addict. He gets a pill addiction. Riding that white horse. He's he's, he's chasing that horse. The, the China White all day, baby. <laughs> there's a there's a whole train spotting subplot that they just cut out. We we needed more time for the cat's numbers. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that does make sense. Like he should, he shouldn't be. He should be okay for a little bit. Like I don't know. He doesn't... right. I mean, you can float for a few months on hundred and twenty k. You don't have to go immediately back to slinging pasta. At the... Yeah. But I don't know. I guess it's the. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he just has a good work ethic. I don't know. But that really struck me this time. I was like, wait, why are you right back at the deli? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so he's back at the deli counter. Uh, George uh, visits him. And said, hey, do you mind, can we talk for a little bit? He apologizes. He says, yeah, you know, I know my body's better, but my brain has a ways to go. And then he actually says, yeah, I saw your set. It's really good. And, uh, you know, I have some tags for you if you want them. Yeah, I wrote some stuff for you. Because early in the movie, I think during the MySpace party with James Taylor, um, uh, Ira asks George, oh, hey, can you look at my stuff or watch my stuff and, and... give me some advice or, or, and, and George is just like, no, I'm not going to write stuff for you. That's not how this works. You write stuff for me. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's very much a one way, one sided relationship. And right. so now we see George reaching out as a person. So he's grown a little bit. He's grown marginally. Yay. Growing marginally. That's yeah. So, so that's pretty sweet. So, uh, yeah, that's a, and that's how it ends. Uh, it's a nice moment to end it on. I it think. is. I, I like that ending. I do, but uh, and uh, yeah, I think I still have the same feelings about the movie now than I did then. Where yes. I was like, this, I don't know. Again, this is like half of this movie is really good. I liked. I still like the movie, but it's mm-hmm. so close to me. It's so close to me loving the movie, but doesn't quite get there because the second I, half. Yeah. See, that's that's why the stuff in the back half bothers me so much because i like the stuff in the first half so much more it it worked really well and then it just takes this weird turn that it just takes the movie down a few notches and it's a drag because it's so close to being a a really cool interesting movie but it's just too damn long and i really think 
I think if when you get as successful as like a Judd Apatow did, you're allowed to get really, really self-indulgent. Yeah. I mean, I know people have brought this up to his attention about like, yeah, you kind of yeah. goes on long, but he, apparently he just, that's just how he likes it. That's just how he, he does yeah. it. It's just like, yeah, that, that's just what I do now. I just, I put in as, it's my movie. I'll do what I want with it. And uh, I mean, I, yeah. I get it, but at the same time, well, I'm I, like, oh. He's he's kind of become like an eight hundred pound gorilla in Hollywood. He doesn't really have to edit his movies down to like a two hour runtime anymore. And I I see that with Apatow. I see that with with Quentin Tarantino certainly. Yes. Like Pulp Fiction hit, and like suddenly all of Quentin's movies are like three four hours. Do they need to be three or four hours? No, not really. Like I I see that with Stephen King. Um, I mean he he hit big, and then you know he's writing all these one thousand page novels. I don't know. Like you just get a lot of this thing where it's like everything you do is genius. So yeah, you know, like Aaron Sorkin, like his movies recently have sort of uh-huh. have done that too. Where it's like this, this could be in a really amazing movie if you just cut half of this. It's not. I think yeah. I think I haven't seen too many of the movies that Aaron Sorkin has directed himself, but I think he's probably at his best with a collaborator too. Yeah. Like the Social Network, I think is wonderful. It is, it is. But like, I, and yeah, and like that—that's because like uh, Fincher was directing it, and maybe I don't know. I don't know if I want to say curbing his excesses, but you know, it's it's good to have somebody to bounce stuff off of. And I'm I'm a big believer that everybody needs an editor. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I mean, like the most recent stuff he's done. Like, I saw uh, Molly's Game, and mm-hmm. I did like it, but yeah, it did. I mean, it's two hours and twenty minutes. I was like, "This, this, this, right. this feels too right. long." And I haven't seen his other ones. Uh, you know, the Trial of Chicago Seven, or uh, I still have to watch Being the Ricardos. But like, they all kind of felt this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they all kind of felt like, yeah, like uh, li- li- listen to our Lucy and Desi episode, and I go off on a whole rant about uh, Being the Ricardos. Being the Ricardos, not good. Yeah, not it's good. A th- he he needs somebody to rein him in. Yeah. And like, I feel the same way with Apatow, where it's like. It's basically yeah. like his movies are this really nice slab of, you know, marble or granite. And there's mm-hmm. a really nice, like, statue in there. But you just have to chisel it away and take off all the excess. Right. But he doesn't want to do that. He just wants to give you the big slab of marble and be like, that's it. That's the work of art right there. Yep. And it's like, yep. Yeah, that, that, that Venus de Milo, she's, she's, she's got big-ass arms. She's got, like, <laughs> toned arms. And, yeah, it's, it's just not as good. Yeah. So uh, yeah, and that's that's my feelings on it. It's like I, I like I yeah. still like this movie. There's a lot in it to like, but at the same time, I can admit it's it's really close to me being loving it. And it's I, I understand how people were kind of turned off by. Yeah, it. it's it's frustrating because it is kind of a near miss, and that's also there's just some of that, a, a little of that tone deaf, out of touch Hollywood thing. Yeah happening like you know with the you you know how could you not cry seeing my daughter sing this song from cats i i know i keep coming back to that but i can't get over it like later when he did this is 40 um where where paul rudd and leslie mann they're reprising their characters from uh knocked up and we we get a little more of like their troubled marriage and i remember in that movie a big thing is like they have money problems and like his uh like her, her, her store is going under, and he he's having problems with his uh, his music business. He did something in the music industry. I'm forgetting what, but they're having all these problems. And then in the middle of the movie, there's a there's a bit where they just fuck off to a spa for a weekend. Yeah, and I'm like, 
wait, you're having money problems. How how do people with money problems who are potentially losing their house, how do they fuck off and go to a spa for a weekend? Yeah, like, uh, I, I, wow, I totally forgot about it. Again, this is, yeah. Get This 40 is another one where I was ready to really like it because, like, I was close to turning 40, so I thought it would speak to me. And Yeah, I was, I was right around 40 when that movie came yeah. out, too. Yeah. And it did not because, yeah, it's like that where you talk, where they talk about how they're having money problems, and then they cut to a scene where the entire family is jumping on a giant trampoline in their in the in the spacious backyard of their million dollar right. home, right? And I'm just like, and I was like, the fuck? I you just look at that and you just shake your head because I'm like, okay, you've been rich and famous for too long. You're you're living in that that Hollywood bubble and you don't really know what struggling means anymore because. Yeah, you've just been so successful for so long. Yeah, we all don't. We all don't have trampoline money, my guy. No, no. Yeah, the bouncy houses cost money. Damn it, I can barely afford to rent one. You know, and she's, you know, like, and there's Megan Fox running around as a yoga instructor, and and people are gushing over here, but but somehow there's still stuff about how super hot Leslie. Is. Yeah. I mean, look, 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 look uh, Leslie Mann is very attractive. I'll say that. She is. No, she is a, a beautiful woman, but. But yeah. But, but, but come on, when you put Megan, Megan Fox in the same movie as near anyone else, she just looks better than most humans. Yeah, I mean, she is just like unreal. Yeah, yeah. That's just like you once in a while you see a human being that is just so spectacularly beautiful you are just like tongue-tied humana <laughs> humana how wow and and yeah and megan fox is one one of those people and yeah. you know and hey there, there are there are dudes like that too like you know paul rudd spectacularly beautiful human being <laughs> easy on the eyes easy on the eyes and uh Absolutely. I don't know. I'm going off on a whole Apatow rant. Yeah, well, but but yeah, that's that's kind of how I'm not a, as much of a fan of Judd Apatow as I was in like the early 2000s. Yeah, like I think now that we've seen the formula, he just chooses to yeah. repeat. It's like, mm, oh man, like it's. But look, hey, the the man the man still did Freaks and Geeks with Paul Feig. He did Undeclared. He did Knocked Up. He did the 40 year old virgin. He gets a lifetime pass for those alone, yeah, I think. I, you know, his his place in comedy history is secured, I think. Yeah. Unless you just only know him as Maude Apatow's dad from Euphoria. Yeah, I, I can't be too mad at him. That's true. No, no, I can't. But it's it's just frustrating when you see a movie that's like half a good movie. And, so, and you feel like there's a better movie buried in there if you just edited it a little tighter or a lot tighter. Yeah. But I don't, know, we're, I don't think we're, get, we're ever going to get that movie from him. This is... This is who he is. No. Accept him for who he is. Yeah. We, we have to love our Judd Apatow flaws and all. Absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, that's our episode, guys. Thanks again for listening, as always. Um, uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so th- that's our episode. Uh, as always, you can find us on Twitter at SNL Nerds Show. You can donate mm-hmm. to our Patreon at uh, what, uh, non-productive.com slash uh, Patreon. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, as always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Darren Credible. That's D-A-R-I-N Credible. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Trumbull Comic. That's T-R-U-M-B-U-L-L and the word comic. Uh, also, just have the same handle on Mastodon, mastodon.social. And I joined Hive. Ooh. Because 
um, a lot of the comic book people seem to be going to Hive. So I'm Trumbull Comic on Hive, too. Yeah, I actually, I'm at Darren Incredible at uh, Mastodon. I have no idea how to use it. I'm learning uh, Hive. I w- I, I'll probably end up going there, too, as soon as I figure out how the hell it works. So yeah. find, me on, find me on all the apps that I don't know how to use. Yes. And, um, hey, if you want to... Uh, tweet us. You tweet us through the show page. That's SNL Nerds Show on Twitter. Uh, we're probably going to set that up somewhere uh, else too, because who knows what's happening with Twitter? It's changing day to day, week to week. Mm-hmm. And if you want to uh, call and leave us a message, uh, you can call us at the non-productive hotline, and the number for that is nine seven three four zero four zero six seven six that number open for calls 24 7 so give us a call uh record your message i think there's like a three minute limit and we will uh, play that and respond to that on the show yeah we gotta get that going more yeah yeah we'd love to you know interact with you fans and have you hear, mm-hmm. hear your thoughts and opinions yeah so you can tweet at us at snl nerd show or you can call us 973-404 zero six seven six absolutely so yeah give a call and uh, leave a message we'd love to hear from you yep and uh next week snl back live as they are want to do it's back baby mm-hmm. and uh yeah so join us our the guest host will be uh kiki palmer and musical guest uh jersey's own scissor scissor mm-hmm. and that's all we know right now. Yeah. We don't know who the other hosts for December are going to be. We're going to find out soon. I'm sure we're going to find out this coming weekend, if not before. And it'll be interesting. Yeah, the, the, the host and musical guest selection has been kind of funky. To say the least. Yeah. But uh, I know this one people are definitely looking forward to because people have been kind of rallying to have uh, Kiki Palmer host for a while now. So... And uh, the I know Sid is a very popular artist, and she has a huge fan base. So I I think I think this one's going to be good. I, I I got a good feeling about this one. Fingers crossed. Yeah, it's this season's been a real mixed bag. So we will see. Um, yeah, I don't know. So I don't know either one really well enough to predict to what I expect. So I'm just gonna, I'm just going to tune in cold and and let it wash over me. Yes, so. just just be a part of the magic. Be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so, and that's our episode, guys. Thanks again for listening, as always. And, um, hmm, how do we usually end these things? Rate us, review us on uh, Apple Podcasts, the podcast catcher of your choice. We always like getting those. And, uh, yeah, so we'll be back next week with uh, Kiki Palmer and SZA. But until then! No doubt. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablawi. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.